To those of you listening to us on the internet and to the men and women in our armed forces, wherever you may be around the world, and to our members and guests here at Beautiful Savior Lutheran in Milwaukee, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God upon which we base our message this morning on this 17th Sunday after Pentecost is the gospel reading, which you heard read before from Mark chapter 9. I recall just these words. Jesus said, The Son of Man will be betrayed and handed over to people. They will kill him, but on the third day he will come back to life. While Jesus was at home, he asked the disciples, What are you arguing about on the road? They were silent. On the road they had argued about who was the greatest. He sat down and called the twelve apostles. He told them, Whoever wants to be the most important person must take the last place and be a servant to everyone else. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who truly was and is the humble servant who gave his life to take away all of our sins, rose again to guarantee those who believe that they will have eternal life, my beloved. Part of the words uh, before us this morning describe Jesus' disciples. They had argued with one another about greatness, about who was the greatest. And when they did that using human standards, they found that they were actually being driven apart. Now, as I studied these words from Scripture this morning, I could not, I'm sorry, but help and reflect on the uh, GOP debate of this last week. And uh, thinking about the Democrat uh, debate that will be coming up next week or in a several weeks. There you had candidates, or will have candidates, supposedly who espouse the same values, arguing with one another who should be number one, who had done the most. As I was thinking about it, too, you know, there is a big difference between one who wants power and one who wants to serve. There is really a, a difference between a politician and a statesman, and perhaps on our lips and in our minds and in our hearts for the next year, not this November, but the coming November, our prayer for our next leader should be that that person be a humble servant statesman. This morning we asked the question, how do you, how do I really get to be great get to be really important in God's eyes. And Jesus gives us the answer this morning by telling us that greatness is found by a God-given faith in the cross and in the crown. And to be really great in God's eyes is also received by a life that responds in humble service to others. First of all, you really get great in God's eyes by a God-given faith in the cross and in the crown. Now, these verses before us this morning uh, describe Jesus. Uh, first of all, he took his disciples away, it says, to a secluded place. He wanted to be all by himself. 
The reason that he wanted to be all by himself is because Jesus was finishing up his last tour of duty in Galilee, and now he was going to start marching south to Jerusalem to die. And he wanted to have this last opportunity for an extended seminary experience with his disciples uh, for this last third year of their seminary education. Now, the central focus of Jesus' message while he was with his disciples there is stated for us in the words before, before us when he taught his disciples, the Son of Man will be betrayed and handed over to people. They will kill him, but on the third day he will come back to life. Now, how much more clearly could anybody state something like that? I mean, I would think that if he had two ounces of sense, you would have been able to under, understand that. The Son of Man will be betrayed and handed over to people. They will kill him, but on the third day he will come back to life. It says, but the disciples didn't understand. And they were afraid to ask him. Now, we know, of course, that when Pentecost came, that's when the lights went on and all the disciples understood Jesus' mission to come and live and die to take away the sins of mankind. And then they went out boldly preaching it. But right now, they didn't understand. Now, we don't know for sure, because Scripture doesn't tell us as to why Jesus didn't allow them to understand at this particular time. Whatever God's reasons were for not allowing the disciples to understand, we do know what their misunderstanding was. What the disciples thought about and really wanted, they thought that Jesus was going to be a rescuer of their nation that he was going to develop into an army captain who was finally going to get those nasty Romans off of their necks, kick them out, and after the war was over, then Jesus would set up a palace and a throne in Jerusalem. And then they could start enjoying peace like they did with great King David and great Solomon of old. And wouldn't things be wonderful then? The disciples really didn't want to believe or understand that Jesus' kingdom was not physical, but it was spiritual. Jesus had come into the world to die a terrible death to rescue us from that spiritual disease called sin. Now, it's kind of interesting when you take a look at the book, uh, uh, book of Mark and you go one chapter earlier. Jesus almost had the very same discussion with the disciples. He told them he was going to uh, die and he was going to come back to life. And then Peter scolded him. He said, oh, no, Jesus, that's not gonna, we're not going to let that happen to you. And then Jesus had to tell uh, Peter, Peter, get out of my sight, Satan. Because you don't have in mind the things of God, but only the things of men. They had a misunderstanding. It was all messed up. Now, I think I know why the disciples didn't want to understand or believe or talk about Jesus' death. Because it was an undesirable, ugly subject. Take a look at all the matters for discussion that we put off because the subject matter is undesirable. Who of us wants to take time out to plan our funerals? You know, what size crypt, you know, what color the casket is, which cemetery you want to be buried in. It's undesirable, so you sort of put it out of your mind. Or who wants to think about making out your last will and testament? That's kind of a scary thing, and so we put it off. 
Our family debts have been increasing, but our income stays the same. There's a financial problem. We know we have got to do something about it. We need to sit down and actually write out a budget, but that's no fun. So we put it off. Mother and father, husband and wife are not getting along. There are family problems and they're getting worse and everyone knows that they need help, but because a conversation would be difficult, they put off seeing a counselor. The disciples didn't want to think about that terrible topic of Jesus dying, and so they tried to avoid it. We're living in a day and age where so many so-called Christian churches today suppose that the chief program of Christianity lies in some spectacular demonstrations for social or political reform, focusing in on trying to make this place, this world of ours, a better place in which to live, engaging in activist programs that, the ch- that show that the church is really a force for good in this world. And all of those things, as noble as they are, they avoid the gut issues of Scripture and the central message of Jesus Christ. I mean, you know what the undesirable gut issue of Scripture is that we have to talk about and we have to believe if we are really going to be great in God's eyes. And beware, we don't like to hear this, The central issue of Holy Scripture is that you and I are to blame. You and I are to blame for all the world's problems. Greed, selfishness, hatred, pollution, war, family strife. Those are all external results of the internal continuing rebellion in our hearts against God. And that's sin. And you are infected with it. And I am infected with it. And not only does it all mess up our world, it also can lead to eternal death for those who are contaminated with it. And who wants to talk about that? Who wants to talk about our taking the blame for sin and disobeying God? Who wants to talk about that fact that when it comes to our sin, our disobedience is against God, we can absolutely do nothing about it. And so we have to flee to Jesus Christ who died as punishment for you so that if you hold on to him through faith, you have eternal life. And even though we may want to talk about everything else under the sun, as a little congregation of Christians who desire to be important and very great in the eyes of our God, we have to keep coming back to that undesirable subject of our sin and the desirable subject of God's grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. We have to keep talking about the ugly sight of a bloody and bleeding Jesus so in love with his creatures that he would allow them to kill him as a substitutionary punishment for their sins and to continue to love them day after day after day. We have to talk about the ugly sight and scene of a Savior crumpling beneath a cross, 
so that we can also talk in the next breath about a beautiful Savior who used his almighty power to come back to life on the third day and to guarantee all who believe everlasting life. Those are all subjects that the world doesn't want to understand or care to talk about. Those are all subjects, though, that we as a little Christian church body need to continue to talk about and believe in order to be really great in the eyes of God. But not only do we become great and really important in the eyes of God through that God-given faith in the cross and crown, but Jesus goes on to say we also become great in his eyes through service of, of love and acts of love performed out of love for Jesus who first loved us. It's kind of bad that in the second section of this whole part of Scripture here that Jesus goes out of his way to tell his disciples that he was going to suffer and die. And right away, the next section here talks about that they were arguing along the way about who was going to be the greatest. Now, again, it goes back to the disciples' misunderstanding about Jesus. Again, they thought that he was going to be an army hero, a general, set him palace up like a king in Jerusalem. And then the question would be, who would be VP? Who would be Secretary of State? Who would be Secretary of Defense? Who would be the treasurer? And they probably argued with one another who had the better math skills, who was a better communicator, who had better administrative skills. Who could truly be the second in command that all the citizens in Palestine would look up to? And so Jesus had to remind his disciples once again that what is considered great in the eyes of the world is not considered great in God's kingdom. And what is considered to be truly great in God's kingdom is not going to be considered great in the eyes of the world. Jesus told his disciples, if you want to be the most important person, you must take the last place and be servant to everyone else. Jesus actually illustrated that very concretely when it says that then he took a little child and had him stand among them. He put his arms around the child and said to them, whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. With that little child, Jesus illustrated what humble service in God's kingdom is all about. Now, for a moment, we have uh, some little children here with us this morning. And especially some of those newborn babies, you know, you look at them and uh, you say, aren't they cute? And aren't they huggable? But that's not the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples by bringing that, that child there. He said, wanted to say, look at the little child. For that child to be properly cared for, it takes a lot of selflessness. For that child to be properly cared for, it's going to take continued effort, labor, money, time, and effort. And you know the whole thing, don't you? Changing diapers, teaching the child how to eat with a spoon for the first time, drying his tears when he falls against the coffee table and knocks his head, buying new shoes. And continuing that effort and that love day after day after day after day. 
But you do it because of your deep love for the child. That's what Christian service is all about. And that's what makes us great in God's eyes. Serving others by doing some of those really difficult tasks of life and never ever worrying about getting repaid. How can mom and dad ever repay you for visiting them regularly in the nursing home? But you do it out of love because they are your parents. How can other residents of the nursing home ever repay you for your visits because you came and saw them even though they weren't your parents? Because you did it because they were your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. How could anyone repay you for your continued smiles and kind words even to that congregational member that you disagree with or has a totally different concept about congregational life than you do? But you do it because he or she is your fellow brother and sister in Christ and you do it out of love for your Savior who died for you. Who can ever repay you for the hours of efforts of time that you spent with your children, giving to them the most precious commodity that anybody could ever give them, the message of Jesus Christ, by those Bible stories that you taught them night after night after night when you said their prayers? Who can repay you for all those things? And the answer is no one. But then none of us can ever repay Jesus for everything that he's done for us because he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, again, to be punished in your place so that you could go free. And so it is out of love for Jesus. You see, a lot of people have this all confused. They think you try to do these, these uh, little acts of love so that you can be great in God's eyes so that he will reward you for all the things that you do? No, 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 no. First of all, Jesus loves us, and then he forgives us. And out of thanksgiving to him for what he's done for us, then we respond with acts of service. Are those acts of service going to make us great in the eyes of the world? Probably not. A little story. I don't know if it's fictitious. I think I read it in a devotional booklet somewhere about a multimillionaire, a lady, who um, through her church wanted to give a lot of charity for humanitarian aid in, uh, aid in India. Year after year after year. One day she said, you know, I really want to go over there. I want to see what's happening. So she went over there. And first of all, she visited a hospital where there were uh, destitute people, destitute people. Then she went to an orphanage and saw some of the street kids and how they were taken care of. And then finally she ended up in a leper colony in a hospital there. And a nurse was taking care of one of the lepers. She looked down and she said, you know, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And the nurse looked up at her and said, you know, I wouldn't either. In the service of Christ to us, exemplified in that nurse's service, we find the secret to greatness in God's eyes. 
And you better believe it. After all is said and done, and all the earthly trophies and awards, and the annual who's who in America, and all the gold medals lie in the ashes of the fires of Judgment Day, the only thing that's going to matter is were we important in God's eyes through faith in the cross and in the crown? And does God regard us as his dear children through faith in Jesus Christ? And be it known that through your God-given faith in the cross and in the crown, And by a life which responds in humble service, we can be absolutely sure right now and in heaven that in God's eyes, you will be considered absolutely the greatest. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please stand. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We join together in confessing our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. We take this time now to gather our tithes and our offerings and our connection cards.